shut the door here. See you later, Papa. Bye. Hello? Hello. We're good. We're rolling. All righty. Cool. Um, so well, so where, where are you right now, just out of, out of curiosity? We're, right like, now, I'm in uh, Michigan. Michigan, we're okay. In, uh, are, we, are we in Pontiac? Well, Waterford, Michigan, so we're, we're close to Pontiac. Gotcha. And, and where are you based? Uh, uh, right are, now, Pontiac? I'm based out of Albuquerque. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> doing, some, um, doing some summer traveling. Yeah. So I've been there for a few years. Um, was in Florida for a long time before then. So a lot of the work that I did with Joe happened while I was in Florida. Cool. Cool. Well, that's, um, you know, that's what we want to, uh, to talk to you about today. We, um, uh, we met Joe through, just, just to give you some context, we um, yeah. had read about on tap through, uh, his motto article, and, and it reminded mm-hmm. us a lot about um, our, our own story, piecing together a, uh, a podcast about two years ago that blended fact and fiction and, and uh, received a somewhat polarizing response. And you you, you said me. you have heard it, uh, Emerson? I, I have heard it, and I mean, it's the kind of thing that gets my attention anyway. Because I like different ways of telling a story. So, like, you know, you might find yourself experiencing it more than being told it. That's right. And you, yeah. that's pretty pretty much what you did with that. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. It's, um, yeah, but I know that when we read Joe's story, we just um, just wanted to sort of connect artist to artist with him and, and just kind of talk things through. And we hit it off and then, you know, decided to embark on a – on a podcast project, which is, you know, very much in the preliminary stages now of, mm-hmm. of, uh, that focuses on uh, the Young Tat legend. So we're right now we're just really just trying to kind of do um, as many interviews with the folks who are connected with it and, uh, yeah, and then sort of figure out how to, how to best tell the story. But before that, we just need the, uh, the necessary information and, and um, you know, want to hear from, uh, from everyone involved, what their you know own experience was, and that will sort of Absolutely. help us construct yeah. something cool. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, my my roles were several, and it sort of stretched over several years. Yeah. So, cool. It was a very very cool process. Awesome. Yeah, we we'd love to kind of ask you about about uh, definitely about all that. Um, I, I I guess, you know, as maybe a starting point here, just um and I know that this gets into like a lot of the details and, and um 
but I think it would just help us if um, you could sort of tell us what what you recall about the um, the, the legend itself of Ongtad and you know the the, the story there and um, sort of the different parts of it. We we heard from Joe and then we've read right. articles here and there. And again, I know it's it's uh, it can get pretty deep and complex, but um, it can. I mean, yeah. the, my first contact with it uh, was decades ago, back in the 90s when um, I was doing a lot of artwork and writing for, for zines. So this was sort of around sort of Temple of Psychic Use kind of area, the whole 23 fixation and, and all that. Uh, I got actually sent a Xerox copy of the Incanabula paper. And at that time, I I used to get all kinds of stuff. You know, we talk about high weirdness through the mail. I mean, that was really the prime time for that. And around the same time, I got an invite to the one of the earliest Burning Man's. And it, I thought it was just another thing. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me go out to the desert where I don't know anybody and see what happens. But um and it, it took me maybe a couple of readings. I wasn't sure why I kept coming back to it. It was like I realized there was a story being told through the entries in the catalog. And that was pretty interesting. I liked the the parallel universes thing because I was very into Robert Anton Wilson at the time. And, uh, you know, sort of chaos magic people working with that concept, like occupying consciously two different universes at the same time. Right. Cool. And I also remember, and I didn't know Joe yet. And I remember reading, he wrote a piece for Boing Boing about uh, El Centro. And it gave me a similar feeling. Now this is something in California. So it's sort of this whole cargo cult. Thing, and I thought I was getting it from several sources. Of course, it was all from Joe. So he was he was spreading that around. So and it, it kind of almost anywhere you go, like in Providence, Rhode Island, I remember hearing tell of like these subterranean caverns where strange things were going on. And you know, you, you travel around, you find these different things. And um, so, I mean, first it was, it was reading, you know, and I was able to, I was living in Boston at the time. So I, you know, I'd go frequently to Providence or, you know, I'd go down to New York or New Jersey. And uh, you know, you'd want to wander around and see what you could find. So you've actually been to the um, the location itself, Jongsat? I have not. No, I mean, I, I I tripped around. So, I mean, I heard about the Jersey Devils, and I spent a little time there. I never made it to Ong Tat. I wasn't sure at that time if it was an actual place. So, I mean, it was later that I found out, and this was, you know, when everybody was getting on the Internet, I, I found out that it's actually a place. If I had known, I would have made a, a harder effort to go there. But, um, you know, these, these sort of narrative games is something that always fascinated me. 
And sometimes it's almost like um, it's almost like uh, Alan Moore's idea of the, the sort of pool of stories from which every narrative is, is taken. It's almost like these things sort of find a way to come through, no matter by what means. And sometimes you can feel like something coming through, like it, like it's it's willing itself to to come through to our reality. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. As as a follow up to that, like how, so, you talk about your your fascination with with you know those kinds of narrative games, yeah. um, and and seeking out you know uh, the the areas where these stories sort of may have emerged from. And so, I guess at the time, how conscious were you of the fact the the you know the fact that it was a game versus trying to suss out what the underlying reality might have been. Was there, um, I'm just curious, like at what level were you conscious of that? I, I wasn't that conscious of it, to be honest with you. I, it hadn't quite occurred to me like you can make it an art form. So that was something I, I found out later. Because I know oh, people were playing with that kind of thing, but it's kind of like within conspiracy circles. You know, you can sort of tell sometimes somebody may be making something up to just kind of troll or, or like just thinking about the subject can, can bring them into a certain place. So it's, I thought it was more like that sort of some subconscious um, narrative creation, like uh, someone might, might come up with ruminating on UFOs or whatever. It's that kind of thing that obsession may pick up. So, you know, finding out later that it, it could be a, an actual art form was even more mind-blowing in a way than the story itself. And, I mean, as a creator, you find a totally new way to do something. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I know, you know, there can be a risk like you put something like that out there and it comes back as an, as a, a conspiracy theory that is seriously believed. And, you know, I've seen things happen like that. Yeah, that's something that we'll definitely want to touch on, um, I think, uh, again in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The, the idea that, you know, these creations can uh, – take on the feeling of reality for, uh, for individuals and then what can happen as a, as a consequence of that. Right. And you'll have people, you know, going on the internet and they, they start acting like, like amateur detectives. They think they're, they're finding something. And sometimes they'll connect someone who's known to be part of this uh, kind of creative, uh, endeavor and try to attach them to some other story. It's like this thing, I mean, it's like a whole false news thing where now it becomes even more confusing and people have sort of tried to work out if something that's in the news, is this an ARG? Is it fake news? Is it Russian propaganda? 
uh, is is kind of funny how it's almost it's almost like uh, you know the hyperstitions that that are are birthed through the the process has sort of sort of loosened up our narrative universe. Yeah, I think I think that's something that, you know, thematically Todd and I are really interested in. Obviously there are some parallels between this and, and the Polybius conspiracy and um mm-hmm. I, you know, um personally, I mean I think the notion of uh, a collective reality or consensus reality and how um I, I mean I would I would argue that largely you know, people living digital lives has has sort of broken down consensus reality in a way um but but i think that you know beyond the political what's interesting about that to me is just the question of reality itself and how subjective that is and um Mm -hmm. and so i guess uh i don't know yeah i I think you know yeah narrative why it is it's interesting to me because i I, my fascination with weird fiction goes back a long way, and I think that touches on a lot of the same thing, cosmic horror, sort of, you know, illusion stripped away, and suddenly you see, you know, what what's actually there. And, like, that kind of thing. Or, you know, King in Yellow, or this story that drives people mad when they read it. And I think that's this kind of thing really hits the same spot for me. And you think about um, like Laird Barron writing about the Pacific Northwest or H.P. Lovecraft writing about New England towns. So there, it's like a very local kind of story opens up cosmic realms. So like, you know, the narrative itself Interesting. I think it kind of ties in. It's maybe a similar impulse. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask if the fact that you had, um, you know, you, you were spending time in Providence, if, if you were interested in Lovecraft. and uh... I wasn't that good at the time, actually. Oh, interesting. I remember first time reading Lovecraft. I was in my mid-20s, and my reaction, first reaction was, Man, if I had read this 20 years earlier, my 12-year-old self would would have loved this so much. Then it's almost like this earworm that kind of starts repeating in your head. So like the stories in retrospect kind of started creeping into my thinking. You know, if you find yourself going back to it, the the, the way uh, concepts were woven and things were vaguely outlined and that actually made it more... I think it makes your brain meet it halfway and it became ultimately more powerful and became something I kept coming back to. Right. And I think part of the, the untold part of it is part of the power of, of that. Um so if if it's okay, uh, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if um, if actually we can get um, we'll, we'll kind of talk start speaking more specifically about um, some of the ways in which you were uh, involved in the legend sure. and um, 
but maybe first, uh, just so we have it, do you want to give mm-hmm. uh, an introduction of yourself? Um, okay. I'll try to put it in the context for this. Um, yeah, um, known ma- mainly as P. Emerson Williams. Um, a lot of my career I've been a musician. I've worked with these scenes uh, through uh, Bill of Thorns, which is sort of a melodic, dark project, and Cornson, which actually uses a lot of esoteric uh, ideas at, and uses the sort of the idea of a hyperfiction and a hyper sigils as part of the process of that. Uh, and I've also worked as an illustrator in many magazines and for many publishers over several decades. And that's actually how I first got in contact uh, with Joe because I was working with David Soborski on his project, Chasing the Wish. So Joe was sort of part of that project and that's how we got to know each other. And and I realized after a while working with that how that actually grew out of Ong's hat. So it is like it's almost like the catalog says, you know, you are always meant to be here. You know, do not seek us out because we will find you. And uh, so it's a, sort of a multimedia career kind of brought me to that inevitable point. And I still, you know, do illustration work for weird fiction magazines and uh, I've done sort of para-theatrical work with foolish people in London. So a little acting, little sound design, artwork. So in a way, it's a way of scattered um, expressive interests that can solidify into a single project. And what was what was fixing fixing the wish you said? What, what was Chasing that? Was Chasing the wish. Chasing the wish. So that okay. yeah, that was an alternate reality game. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's almost like uh, like a darker version of uh, Men in Black mythos. But um, you know how just these alien influences may be sort of weaving its way into your life. It, it, it was uh, an alternate reality game, and then we sort of create a comic from the narrative of the first game, and then there was a, another game following the publication of the comic. So so this, when, when you actually first met Joe um, in person, it was, Chasing Wish was like early, early to mid-aughts, correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's did when you I know got to know Joe. And, and I'd been working with James Curcio for a while, and he was one of the writers on Chasing the Wish. Gotcha. So at the time that you met Joe, did you know – you already knew a little bit about Monk's Hat, you said. You had already read some materials. Did you um, – Yes. Did you piece it together, like, oh, this is the same guy, or, or did you know right away, or was that how he was introduced to you? I kind of I, – I recognized his name from the article, the piece he wrote for Boing Boing. This was back in the 90s. And, uh, you know, we had 
sort of an internal uh, chat system that we used, and we were sending files and, and chatting and stuff. And I, and I realized, you know, sort of who he was at that point. And it, it was really after that that I I came to realize a full the well a greater extent of of, of that project of, of Ong's hat. And I started learning more about what an alternate reality game was. So I mean, it was just through making connections and chasing things that creatively interested me that, that kind of brought me to that. And uh, you know, and that that is when I realized who he was and exactly how ingenious and how extensive that project was. So once you realized that, um, how did then you become a, a collaborator? Um, well, we had I'd started working uh, with him on his site, uh, alterati.com, and he also had Grey Lodge at that time. And uh, so he asked me. Were, were to, you doing design elements for him? I was doing a little bit of that and I was creating some podcasts and uh, he wanted to do um, an audiobook version of uh, the Incanabula papers. So I came up with the character Milford Connolly as this sort of shortwave radio patriots conspiracy talk radio show host so he was reading it so I wrote the intro and then I read out the uh, the uh, Incanabula paper in, in this character's voice and then I did an interview as that character with Joe to be, to be the other bookend for that project and we did the same with El Centro as well so that was that was a big part of my contribution right there, which uh, you can still find that on archive.org. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, Joe had also sent us um, also some yeah some links as well. Probably probably right to archive.org yeah. um, yeah. is where it links. Um, I don't know. So, if I don't know if, where you might find the El Centro material right now. It's, it's kind of connected and kind of peripheral. It's its own thing as well. And uh, I set up uh, a website for Milford Connolly and his show, The Garden of Truth, and also its own email. So I got contacted by a lot of people who actually have these types of shows themselves wanting to get information from Milford Connolly. And I, I, I would correspond with them and I'd do blog posts and we'd sort of put little breadcrumbs to things we were up to. Was there anything specific you can remember about some of those interactions? Like were they, were they trying to dig for more info on, on that? And, and also, uh, chronologically, do you recall if that was that would have had to have been uh, was that after Joe was on Coast to Coast or before? 
that was after I would I think that may have been like between two thousand seven two thousand nine. So so obviously like that drove a ton of traffic, um, you know, you guys' way, and then yeah. Uh, so you've got then people who are doing their own independent shows reaching out thinking that this is a legitimate source and you're yes so like i was i I made the characters sort of more of the old style pre-internet like if you had shortwave radio you could catch some of these sort of homegrown shows and so that would be why they wouldn't necessarily be all over every podcast service or, or whatever was available at that time. So sort of retroactively, I'd create some of the audio material and sort of leak it out through Grey Lodge and Ultravati. As though it had been captured and digitized and then, and then hosted elsewhere sort of thing? Exactly. And uh, I remember once he he asked me to do like a short interview with him, but have have the I have to create uh, like this this interference and, and have it sound kind of like a, a number station was sort of jamming the signal. That's cool. Yeah. So um, in, in terms of the interactions that you had, were you, was there a specific goal or agenda or was it more just like, I'm, I'm going to have fun with this and, and sort of try to, um, you know, spread the mythology or, or how, how did that kind of proceed? Um, you know, Joe's, Seemed to have a little bit of a master plan, but uh, I think the method was like is like a jazz improvisation. Well, let's let's start, you know, playing some of these melodies and see where this leads us. So we're kind of letting this sort of we develop on its own, and it kind of grew here and there. That's cool. So yeah. A loose a, a framework, but you got to kind of play within that and to see what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything you want to comment on regarding kind of the reaction to this, or or just the reaction in general, and and at least in terms of you know what you were able to observe or participate in, how the legend sort of grew and morphed. Um. Yeah, I've been thinking about that that lately. I mean, I've been sort of going back to some earlier things I'd I'd been into, and I mean, I haven't heard a lot of people bring up things like hyperstition in connection with this. But you know how you can create these narratives, and then suddenly you start seeing aspects that you think you made up coming back at you from a different source, and I think. Uh, you know, we've seen a little bit of that with this. The fact that, you know, he, real people have been involved using their actual names and their very, you know, well-regarded work. And, you know, the concept of, you know, how much of our reality is created by a narrative that we, we tell ourselves. 
And, um, you know, there have been some of the more paranoid reactions or other people who just aren't sure. Uh, you know, being, uh, I remember Milford Connolly got contacted by Smiles Lewis, who does PSYOP radio out of, out of Texas. You know, it turned out to be just genuinely curious guy, very nice guy. So, you know, he just wanted to know. And, uh, I mean, I, I didn't do further interviews as Milford Connolly at the time, but you know, it was interesting to see how when you get the range of reactions, you got some people who are very involved in alternate reality games and they know this is what they're doing. I think it's the, the sort of in-between twilight liminal spaces where sometimes you're not even sure yourself. Like, what's this coming back at me? I thought I made that up. And that's not always how it turns out. Um, was that an eerie or an uncanny experience for you? Yeah, it was definitely kind of uncanny. And it's almost like, you know, something like that happens and you can almost feel like a presence just hearing about it, reading about it. Or like, you know, your your your, par, your parallel universe self just reached out and tapped you on the shoulder. Yeah. Um, so I, we were wondering, like, I guess at the time, it sounds as though you were pretty aware of the fandom. Um and then also, you know, Joe had indicated to us that that ultimately it did become sort of a toxic climate as people were sort of hijacking the forums. Um, yeah, you know, we're not necessarily looking to um, yeah. focus on on that aspect, but I mm-hmm. but I guess you know uh, if there's anything you want to add to um, your awareness of of the fandom and how it had grown and. And, uh, yeah. you know, certainly anything my, specific would be interesting. Right. Okay. Um, my experience of the fandom was, was probably on the whole a little more positive than his. And I think part of that was, you know, to the public's face. It wasn't my name attached to it. I mean, I, I did this in character. So that may have been a little buffering thing, although... You know, one blogger who wrote about a lot of conspiracy stuff did, you know, find my name and figure out that I was Milford Connolly. And he kind of tried to attach Joe and everyone in in his circle to another story, which was an actual true story and a tragedy. And not at all connected with any alternate reality games or any creative project anyone had done. And I'm not going to really specify that. That was just kind of a weird thing. Like this person comes out of nowhere with, you know, thousands of readers and people are speculating on above top secret and other forums about this whole thing. And, you know, 
you know, I'm sitting there knowing that we had absolutely nothing to do with this. So that was that was kind of weird. That did resolve in the end that we personally with this this particular blogger. But it was it, it was interesting to see how these things can spiral out of control like that. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, were there any uh, like more positive relationships that you formed uh, aside from you know the podcasters or the or the you know who are who are reaching out like were there other enthusiasts of the legend that you um kind of formed a community with or or that ended up collaborating oh yeah and i mean the aforementioned james curcio we've been working together for probably 15 years now when we first started working together uh, on chasing the wish um, you know, it's, uh, like Smiles Lewis, who uh, hosted his own radio show on uh, anomalous topics, is how he'd put it, is, you know, just someone I'm in contact with, and, you know, he's a really cool person, and, and just generally the people who get it, you know, tend to be uh, pretty uh, creative and intelligent people themselves, so, you know, my my personal experience has been quite good that way. And and people I've worked with, you know, in the media part of this, you know, are all people I highly regard and, you know, work with whenever I can. Were you, um, I mean, one thing that, that um, I mean, I was both in the Gizmata article that we read, but also Joe had talked to, a little bit about uh, as well were um, were some of the uh, quote unquote enthusiasts that maybe took this uh, a little bit too far on his end. Uh, those that you know would would I guess would message him and call him and even show up uh, at his home years after he had kind of closed shop on the whole game. Right. Um, were you privy to any of that? And and I guess um, if yeah, so, I was, what were your thoughts on it? Well, I remember him talking about that, and that kind of, you know, kind of altered my my thinking on the the conspiracy theory enthusiast kind of environment. You know, I'd sort of gotten into some of that aspect, you know, through Robert Anton Wilson, who was certainly more playful, more trickster-ish about it. And, you know, you get the more sort of uh, politically paranoid John Bircher types. uh, And, you know, you start getting that eye upon you and that can turn ugly really easily. And, you know... Those narratives, it seems to me like they can be manipulated really easily to turn people into whatever you want them to be. I think in general, while it's good to be skeptical and not take every official narrative you're given, I think also just to think everything is a plot against you is equally unhealthy. And I, I remember Joe had to, had to take some 
real measures, you know, move or, or whatever, just to, to ensure that, it, you know, we couldn't have people like that coming around. The fact that people will take a narrative anyway and, and is, is, is kind of disconcerting for sure. Do, do you feel some degree of, um, of, of, I guess, of sympathy, though, for those that um, – and, and I should say that, like, both John and I are, are very much in, you know, in Joe's corner with, um, you know, what, what he's doing and why. Sure, as, yeah. As, you know, as, uh, as you can see probably through, through us making the previous conspiracy. But, um, you know, even after that uh, experience, you know, I think there was some self-reflection and some questioning whether or not what we, we mm-hmm. did um, – you know, ultimately was a, um, you know, a, a positive or a dangerous thing to those that right. may have not have known uh, uh, right. did you, reality. Did you yourself find any kinds of reactions to that coming back at you? Yeah, like, I mean, a lot of it was just in, in the, I guess, the criticism of, of the project that people, hmm. I, I think most of it was people just let down because they really sort of wanted to believe in this world. And then once the... <laughs> yeah. There was a there was a slate article that that went up the week before our uh, our final episode and and in hindsight I don't think we handled that the best way and sort of you know a- admitted mm. to what we were doing instead of keeping things um, uh, I guess keeping the artifice alive um, or not yeah. showing that that this was was that there was any artifice to this and um, and I think it bummed a lot of people out and and made some people angry and upset. Um, the criticism that that we got though is that what we were doing was really irresponsible and really dangerous. And and John and I, uh, even though we reflected quite a bit on this, I mean, ultimately we sort of come down to the fact that we, um, you know, whether or not uh, if you choose to believe the story, you, you uh, we're not really influencing uh, you to 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 vote a certain way or to spend money a certain way or it doesn't change right. I um, I think you, you hit a. I think you hit a really good point right there. You know, you really sort of weaving a narrative, and I mean, throughout every time and place, there have been local legends, and no matter where you go, and I think you know, playing with a little bit of that is fine. Um, you know, and has you know, do you plan ahead? You know, here. Here's how we're going to handle the reveal, um, or do you sort of see where it's going? And you know, what if it keeps leading you further as a creator? Then you had, you know, you might see a different wrinkle, you know, three quarters of the way into what you had planned that you couldn't have anticipated. You got to keep it going. Um, I don't know. There have been people in sitcoms who get, you know, adverse fan reactions at some point, you know, they're, they're, they can't anticipate everything. And I, I think, yeah, there's a, a creative intention here, not a, not a manipulative one. Yeah, I think that is underscored by the fact that in both Ong's hat and, and Polybius, you know, regardless of whether you took it to be 
the truth or not, or some, Mm -hmm. you know, some degree thereof, it it in no way is going to inform, you know, how you live your life, how you cast your vote, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's nothing that is going to have a a real world bearing on, uh, you know, there, there's no aspect of it that's going to have an actual real world bearing, but uh, we had, we had spoken to Joe on that topic and, you know, one of the things we discussed was the fact that um, increasingly people seem to be becoming so literal-minded and uh, and really want the parameters and, the, you know, want to have everything kind of laid out and wrapped up in a nice, neat bow for them so that there's mm-hmm. really no mystery at all in, in, in yeah. life anymore. And, and uh, you know, the to, for me, the, the, you know, ultimate extension of that is really uh, – fascism absolutely i think that's an interesting thing i mean because on one hand you you've got a number of people working with different things from philosophy to art to to whatever whose whose view on reality and and creation and narrative uh becoming increasingly sort of esoteric and and and, uh, sophisticated and then you have sort of a general level of consciousness that even though what's around them is is more um, varied and from more varied sources than ever it's almost like they're immunized to to that that sort of ability to to play with the concepts and how how those two phenomena like you can have Negarastani writing about the consciousness of of oil in the ground influencing people's actions. And at the same time, have QAnon, and people take it absolutely literally. You know? And the fact that it's not really kids. I mean, everyone I've seen walk the street with IMQ shirts tend to be 60s, 70s. And say, you know, how can you have those two phenomena simultaneously? I don't know if I'm expressing this in an understandable way. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's as though, you know, as in many ways life becomes more sort of unnecessarily complicated, people mm-hmm. are seeking um to simplify things as much mm. as possible. I, I, I don't know yeah. any other way to put it than that, right? Yeah, it's like, so maybe they they want the explanation. We want the explanation. I want yeah. to know what's true, what's not. I want it to be something that is, you know, mm-hmm. digestible in a soundbite or in 140 characters or, you know, it's, it's this, I, there is really, um, uh, seems to be a, a drive in, at least in mainstream yeah. culture towards oversimplification and, yeah. and, you know, just, you know, a reduction of, of everything to, down to its, just simplest terms so yeah. yeah it could 
maybe it's a moment, you know, at a time when th- this is, we're sort of close to the point where competing hyperstitions started unraveling in different directions. Yeah, each each one sort of changing the nature of the other. And then, you know, and the majority are caught in the middle, not knowing. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, like to your point earlier about how you want to be skeptical of mainstream narrative and yet at the same time not so paranoid that you believe that everything is a plot against you. Yeah. You know, I think I think – you know, from you my want to go the full Alex Jones for sure. Right, right. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously this is going to be, again, largely subjective. But, you know, in my own experience, it's, it's, it is pretty irrefutable that I think, you know, at least certain things that um, are perpetuated in the mainstream are, are simply not true. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are you know, small things to, 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 to large, you know, there's a, there's a real variety there or, you know, how many times have you seen a politician really just oversimplify or patently say something that is untrue? Um, yeah. So, so that, so I guess the, my point in saying this is just probably the conscious or unconscious suspicion that life as is understood or conveyed is not exactly as it appears to be, which I think then also kind of goes back to your obsession or your interest, rather, I don't want to call it an obsession, but your interest in, in weird fiction and, and this Mm -hmm. idea that, you know, um, that there are these deeper and more disturbing truths that are there. If you are able, you know, if you are so inclined to seek them out. Now, on on the other hand, I think, you know, that, that sort of, consciousness reveal at the end of a, a weird fiction tale, I think you could have a yogi having that same experience, having the same thing revealed to him, but it's the splendor of the divine that is unfolding before him. You know what I'm saying? So still the mind and the preparation of the person experiencing it sort of changes the nature of what it is to see. Yeah, yeah, we 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 are either inclined to seek out darkness or seek out light, right? Mhm. Yeah. And that and that's a predisposition of the individual. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the 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 main character reaction in a weird fiction tale is sort of the traditional western male's confrontation with the fact that he's not center of the universe in, in a lot of examples. Yeah, it's, it's like a certain um, impotence or uh, you, you know, a sense that we are powerless, that uh, that I am not in control or maybe I'm not even mm-hmm. who I think I am, you know. The idea mm-hmm. of calling into question even your, your identity, right? Your, 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 right. The, your self-conception. Those are things that, yeah, if you're well, I think it's it's it it probably the knee jerk reaction to any of those kinds of revelations would be one of terror simply because um, so many people for so many people it's tied to ego, which is mm-hmm. to say we've constructed this idea about ourselves and our place in the world when that yeah. is shattered by 
some sort of contradiction, how are we able to process that, right? And and right. Um, when the ego is, uh, I, I, I think for for many people is central, it's very very difficult for them to to confront and resolve anything that runs counter to their idea of, you know, reality. Yeah. And I, uh, one thing that that I thought about seeing the the parallel, you know, the dimensional travel aspect of the Ong Tat legend is like, okay, you go to another world that is pristine and has no human, but it's otherwise exactly the same as Earth. Are you discovering who you are in this world with no nobody seeing you? And what do they do there? Why are they doing anything different? If they are that that rock solid uh, persona that they perceive themselves to be. Yeah, right. So that so that, so and it, I mean I think it would be interesting to kind of also talk about some of those specific aspects of the story, and mm-hmm. and how, how they resonated with you or you know sure. what what yeah. you thought might have been inspired by actual events. But yeah, I think that's interesting too because. On the one hand, as you said, it's 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 it could be this ideal, you know, it's oh we're returning to this ideal primitive earth, um, you know, that hasn't been spoiled by humanity. But then, of course, uh, is it is it um, are things kind of just doomed to repeat themselves, right? Right. Um, so, as far as what you recall about about Onkat, at least like you know, anything, I mean, I know like there were things asserted about um, Pine Barrens in that region that there was in fact kind of a real nuclear incident or military incident that happened there. I mean, as far as what you know, are are you able to distinguish facts and fiction there or what are your, can you kind of talk about some of those aspects of it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know really exactly what, specifically may have been there. Um, I mean, and I, I remember at the time I, I was sort of mixing out, so what's the Montauk project? Well, what's part of on Pat? Because it seemed like, you know, I guess because of the university and the scientists who lived in there, in that area, uh, you know, just were people from Project Paperclip there. And you know, I know those guys working on a lot of similar ideas. That's why they were brought to the U.S. after the war. Um, I don't know. It, on my part, it would be pure speculation, and I sort of felt that way at the time. Like, like, would you say that it's not outside the realm of possibility that some of these things might have been might have been developed, or um, are you are you pretty skeptical? And I know it's pure speculation. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it may or may not be pure speculation, but well, um, the fact that some basis of it is meditation and hitting a vibration and moving. Um, I don't know. Have you ever sort of been in a quiet moment and sort of? felt 
thoughts in your own voice, but from a different life, and it may be parallel. Um, I'd say it's entirely possible. Yeah, it depends on what you make of the, the multi-universe theory. Uh, you know, there's infinite ways it can branch off due to your choices. And all the different points of observation. Yeah, and, and I mean, I why, think... Why, why oh, wouldn't ahead, a, a physicist why wouldn't a physicist want to try to, in a practical way, research that? And yeah. And, sorry, every time I thought you were done. <laughs> sorry. I'll shut no. up. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. You keep going. <laughs> no, I'm just kind of just, you know, sort of trying to pull together a train of thought, but um, you know, like, you know, ideal place. Uh, there, there was rumor um, I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility yeah, How about I, as far as the, um, the commune itself um, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't even call it the commune but with the um, <laughs> The with the Institute of Chaos Studies and um, with the um, uh, with the more science, like the that collective, I guess is. Yeah. Do you think that, in your opinion, there's validity there that there was actually a group that that was? Um, I that, that I know at the time. I know at the time uh, there there were a lot of people doing thinking along similar lines and, and sort of creating groups around that. And uh, I, I could see that being a, a good spot to, to pull people together for that, you know, some, someplace isolated and maybe with its own energy. And there was a lot of that. Um, I think of uh, you know the IOT in in the UK is more of a sort of magical approach, um, and it seems like the further the science is followed, the closer it gets. Uh, some it sounds almost like the Vedas explaining the origins of the universe and the cycle that it's going to go through. Sure. So, so would you say for 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 you, um, as far as just the the validity to all of this? I mean, were you were you? I mean, is it fair to say you you were less concerned about finding the truth and more just satisfied to 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 live and and play within this world that was um, created or or passed down or however people originally found it? I was kind of interested in developing the tech actually just as sort of a part of my own practice I, it's it, my thoughts were, were at the time were pretty similar to what the CCRU were doing in England at the time back in the 90s 
Um, so it was actually that aspect really at that time that was most interesting to me. Like, it, you know, meditative techniques and, and science sort of wedded to what we know about the the fabric of the universe. Not to get too fritch off copper on that, but um, that was kind of what I was looking into. You know, going back to like my first encounter with it. You know, through the mail, through you know print articles, and and boing boing was an actual magazine. So I was kind of interested in that, and I it was later on, like that I got interested in in this sort of artistic narrative creation part of that. And I think uh, after this past election, um, it's almost swung back around again. It's like, did our narrative techniques create this chaotic zeitgeist? So you, you, you've got sort of a, what I was interested in Evolving as what I knew about it evolved. That makes any sense. Do you think? Do you think that the pamphlets that were distributed? I mean, to you, were these documents, uh, you know, fictive creations? Do you think that they were um, reproductions of something that may or may not have existed? Do you think that there was any? Any you know validity to them as well? There were some actual books that I'd seen in the bookstore in there. And you have books on quantum mechanics and chaos theory, and you had other things that may have come to be later in time, and others may have been completely made up. So, you know, you have a mixture there. And then um, were there, were there any things, uh, you know, like I, I, like one of the things that I think Joe brought up and that I kind of sense in, in the way that this conversation is going is also just the idea that, you know, creating the the egg and everything could have actually been sort of a it could have been a metaphor i guess right it's like the idea yeah so the idea of of traveling to a to a literal dimension and disappearing could have been a a metaphor for something else but um you know when you when you kind of talk about some of those strange events that were happening uh Mm -hmm. or or the you know the rumors about that the young man Kit who had the ability to go there and then return like yeah what I don't, I don't know any thoughts on that or um well there are there are things that, that you can do to like if you're if you're working on shaping your consciousness if you're working with a consciousness like with yoga and meditation. There are shortcuts you can take, or there 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 are some you know 
you could call it furniture yoga. There are things that can help you get into a pose if you can't do it immediately. Um, it may not, so like the egg may be something that could sort of show you or get, give you a feel for what, what uh, vibration you're trying to, to achieve and then eventually you don't need it. You know, you, you learn to work your way to it on your own. So, yeah, that's kind of how I saw it. Right. And I don't, you know, I actually found uh, the yolk technique a little more incredible than necessarily the egg. Because we're, we're talking consciousness. And although, you know, if I, I, someone taking a tab of acid and another person's in the room with them, that person who didn't take it could still get a contact high from something that doesn't give off fumes. So, I mean, consciousness is a very malleable and incredible and weird thing. Yeah, right. The power of suggestion, the power mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, um, what's the, uh, I, I forget what it is. It's that, it's the theory with the, the monkey that it's like you teach one monkey or a second monkey learns something and then it's the hundredth monkey. When you get to the hundredth monkey, suddenly all yeah. of them know it. Yeah, it's the it's quantum field. Like, you know, all the monkeys in the world know it. Yeah, I think it's something that's been observed. It was possible. So, yeah, I just talked myself out of the skepticism about the yoke technique. <laughs> <laughs> um, any, uh, any, I, I guess, you know, that this idea that like people started having those synchronicities. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, uh, Joe also told us one about, um, like a bizarre dream he had about a, about a house and um, you know, that these strange synchronicities would start happening to people as they were engaging in this. And I think that kind of connects to this idea of, you know, consciousness and getting a contact high and, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't know anything you want to, did you have any of those synchronicities happen to you? Do you know of any of those stories that you'd want to relate? Um, that's the kind of thing I've run into more in connection with the quarantine project than, than I have personally with this. Uh, I do find, you know, whatever I'm working on or anything, you know, it will come into my dreams. And often I see people I, I've only seen in dreams years later. You know, never having seen them anywhere before. Um, so it's kind of like you have then that feeling that is classically described as deja vu. Yes, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, like, 
like the world as it is now is sort of something I, I had dreams about in the 70s and 80s, something that I wrote about obliquely in lyrics and in projects in the 90s and aughts, and now I'm kind of singing it. You know, you could wonder, you know, did I bring this on? Or well, did I have a part in it? Or did I just see patterns of things the way a sailor might see a red sky at night and know that it's going to be storming the following day? Some of that could be just some kind of intuition by observing things that your consciousness, conscious mind may not even notice, but some deeper part of your consciousness will and will, will digest it and give it back to you in imagery or sound or feelings. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think you can play with that, you know, like the 23 Enigma, but, you know, I do that with corns and people start coming to me and telling me they're seeing 333 everywhere they go. But I, I think you put, put a narrative out there and it does start coming back to you. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a call to the others, and so maybe um, I to think of specific examples. Um, I think it's interesting. How and uh, I just lost my train of thought there. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. It's it's sort of like you could you know you could take it two ways. I think one way is like you buy a a, a particular you know make or model of car and then suddenly you you notice them everywhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then there's also the um, way in which you know uh i mean obviously we are we are energy and so this idea that you know creating a narrative or putting out putting something out there that is an expenditure of energy right both mm -hmm. both yeah. literal and and sort of theoretical in the sense that you literally expended energy creating this thing and that it also mm -hmm. you know stories have life and stories have emotional and intellectual power and stories uh you know, influence people. And so that is a very real um, product of that energy that can then mm -hmm. kind of, um, as you said, I suppose, uh, swing back around at you because that energy just starts circulating. Yeah. Yeah, so you can start, you know, investigating something, wondering, is this real? Is it not? And down the road, is like, did I make it up? Oh, did I receive it? Did I hear it or did I tell it? Do you think that's um, startling or, or 
or frightening at all, or do you think it's kind of more beautiful? I, I think more the latter. I mean, maybe because the people coming back at me with things are people who have created something I found interesting. You know, so it's sort of that creative impulse goes out and then it comes back to get something reflected back on you. So Um, along those... Along those lines, what would you say, you know, kind of from where you are today um, is kind of the legacy of the project that you guys created? And and uh, also, it's just sort of interesting, and, and, you know, Joe observed this as well, that it just kind of seems like the thing that keeps coming back around. You know, there, there's there's always this kind of maybe a period where things grow fallow for a while, but then there's renewed interest. Um, you know, as this kind of recent spate of articles, and he he was on a couple podcasts, and right. Um, so I guess that's sort of that's sort of the question is, you know, your feelings about the legacy, and then also um, its endurance over time. Well, I mean, obviously, it is something that that has has some sort of holding power on people because, you know, new people come along all the time and get their attention, you know. And I I think that says a lot about its legacy. And I think uh, in, in different ways media has changed, I, I think some of it has got to be attributed to that project. And just the way we tell stories, the types of stories that are told. Um, So I I think that goes for that a lot. And I think in any endeavor, you know, for the second part of that, uh, you do go in cycles. You know, you sort of build up a head of steam, so to speak. You know, these ideas start coming. And each idea builds on on the one that came before it, and gain this momentum. And then the interactions, you know, once you know when it's going out there, uh, um, you know, so that builds up. Um, it can just keep growing and growing. In, in a way, those more fallow periods, uh, something fermenting, possibly. You know, so you've got to kind of leave it alone for a little bit. And sometimes, you know, you wonder if this is the thing that's just kind of grabbed onto your life and, and is, is driving you. You know, you, you create, you have all kinds of ideas that create a person. You put it together, you put all your best effort into it, and you put it out there. You do a hundred things like that, but there'll be that one that keeps coming back to you. You wouldn't necessarily know it when you started that one. That's going to be the one. That's going to be the one. If people remember your name, they're going to remember that. So it's almost like this this thing is its own life form and it has chosen you. Do do you anticipate that this... um 
that the story will endure. I mean, I, I know that, that, that Joe has um, uh, come and gone and come back around again for, um, mm. for um, trying to both, both, you know, I guess tell the story and then share the story. And, um, and at times he's wanted to just kind of remove himself altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious what this sort of looks like. Um, yeah, I don't know, 20, 30 years down the line, 50 years down the line, who knows what life will be like at that point. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I know that as a project, it, it probably has legs because it's known more or less as, as um, you know, the first ARG. But as a, as a legend and as a story, I mean, do you feel that this is something that, that, that has the potential to be passed down? Um, I think it's through generations or be adopted by others and, and then passed down or Yeah, I think it it really taps into to something I I don't know, do you have a different stage of primordial? It's almost like uh you know it's almost like a new archetype. There there's a vibe to it. There's something uncanny. It's hard to explain why. Like, I mean, people have come up with all kinds of ideas and projects and ways to tell things. And there's something uncanny about Ong's hat in particular. But, I don't know, it's like it, it will be going along and then one of its tendrils will sort of reach its way into another part of your brain where it hadn't been before. I I think as far as that, as an experience, as someone who encounters it, and it's kind of designed that way, I think that's part of why, and I think it will endure. And whether, you know, as a project, is entirely forgotten. Something there will continue to, like the fungi of yoga, will just kind of continue to spread around and weave its way into the mulch. Um, curious um, if um, this might seem a little bit of a, a random question, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Joe informed us of a guy, uh, the guy named Cameron, um, mm-hmm. that that uh, uh, has some relation to the Hat legend. Do you, do you he know? Assert, he asserts that it was his story that Joe has actually taken and um, essentially oh, yeah, co-opted. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, you know, maybe random. I had a dream the other night that I was Cameron. That was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I, I I will admit I've heard the name. Um, has anyone contacted you? No, no one has contacted uh, us. We've been okay. trying to find him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I can help you there. Um. 
Yeah. Are you familiar um, with his website? Um, I don't know if I've seen his website. Can we, can we ask you how you said you 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 were familiar with the name? Can we ask um, in what context you had heard of him? Um, you see, now you, I don't know really if I should say anything about it. Uh, I'm a little, a little uneasy discussing the topic. Um, when you said you had a dream that you were Cameron, uh, yeah. is there anything you can elaborate on there? Well. I don't know. I I think uh, maybe we're maybe it's sort of an example of you know like uh, like characters can invade or or represent something else. I don't know. Um, You know, um, like, uh, can can a person be transmitted into existence? Kind of a question that. Comes up when I think of Tamar. Um, I'm wondering, um, yeah. Um, Meaning, if someone is created, um, uh, as in like a story, can they become real, or are, are we also kind of going back to this idea? Or, of, or can, can someone create a character and Not just have a person manifest, but like can an aspect of you become that person? Definitely interesting to ruminate on. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're getting very esoteric here. Um, like, do you mean in the way where you might read, like, a story about someone and then what? so identify with them that you would feel as though they had become mm. a part of you? Or not, not quite? Not quite. That's more like, you know, uh, someone reading The Catcher in the Rye. And I think they're, they're the avatar for authenticity. I don't know. So it, so it's different though from say um, learning about someone and then feeling like that sort of uncanny sense that this is in some way me that is being represented here. Well, yeah, you know, I, 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 like I, I mentioned before, have you ever ever felt like presence of yourself, but maybe from a different. You know, like at some point, 
a different universe split off and there are two of you in two different universes. Have you ever felt the other guy tap on your shoulder? You, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, you know, yeah, so if you can hunt down Cameron, you, you could really ask him more more of this stuff. Yeah, um, that that's that's a whole other harrowing kind of experience. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it to you. Well, thank you for trying. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Todd, did you have any uh, other questions? No, I feel we uh, I feel we covered a uh, covered a lot here. Um, and just just to give you guys some understanding of what comes next. I mean, we're, this yeah. is really right now we're we're very much in the preliminary stages, and and just really mm-hmm. talking to as many people as we can, and yeah. trying to gather as much information about. Um, the Hat story as we can. Um, yeah. Our our goal, which which may completely shift, uh, would be to try to finish something in the fall. Um, we're so hopeful that something like that may happen. Although if, yeah. if we kind of find ourselves way too deep in this narrative and feel that it's going to take more time, then um, you know it may possibly push back into 2020 sometime. But um, okay. we're 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 quite enthusiastic about this and 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 at the moment have enough bandwidth that we think that getting this done um in a in a matter of months not years seems nice. uh seems doable cool. uh, yeah we'll, we'll sort of see as we cut in deeper um okay. into everything so we'll we'll continue to keep you posted and yeah. cool. um and uh so you know, i i i see you know you veered into liminal there at the end i wasn't sure how much to give away there <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean it's yeah, that's great. I mean, I it's something that that yeah, we're we're trying to kind of work nice. um, and infuse into into this uh, into the podcast and and uh, make it a complimentary piece and very cool. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, so we that's don't, know, don't know quite what the direction is, but uh, it's. Uh, I I think you know uh, you know refer back to jazz like okay you 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 saw out a melody and let's see. See what I can bounce around with it. Sure. So, right? sure. so maybe like a that. little bit of that, you know, sort of letting letting things uh, ferment a little bit and develop. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Um. Yeah. Uh. Well. Well. Thanks so much. Appreciate. Uh, um. Yeah. Appreciate your your help on this and and uh, uh, the chance to get to to speak with you and we'll definitely keep you posted as uh, we venture uh, deeper into this. Very cool. Thanks so much. All right. Enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye.